Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights, a podcast brought to you by the Society of Entrepreneurs and hosted by Pearson Crutcher and Jay Healy. The Society of Entrepreneurs is a membership organization founded to promote entrepreneurship and provide education and resources to Memphis business owners. In this podcast, we'll have a series of interviews with accomplished business owners and entrepreneurs in Memphis, Tennessee. There are so many great entrepreneurs in Memphis and their stories need to be told. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. Today's interview is with Frank Cianciola, the chairman and founder of Bank3 Holdings. Frank is a serial entrepreneur who's operated several banks over several decades. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. I am so excited today to have my friend Frank Cianciola with us. Frank is the chairman and founder of Bank3 Holdings, got its name because it is his third bank. So (laughs) he's had a little bit of experience in the banking industry, and we are very much looking forward to this interview. So thanks for being here today, Frank. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So Frank, we always like to start with just a history of the people we're talking to. So tell us your background. Where'd you grow up? How'd you get to Memphis? Long history. Memphis, Tennessee is my home. Okay. Grew up in Colonial Acres, just like a bunch of kids back in those days during the 60s and a little bit of the 50s. Some good kids came out of that neighborhood. And so I went to Christian Brothers High School, Holy Rosary grade school right down the street from there. And it seemed like everybody had the same size house and three bedrooms and one bath for everybody to share. (laughs) 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 That was the way the world was back in those days. And, you know, pretty happy times. Good memories of childhood, great music, and a lot of people that remained close friends over the years. Very good. Where did you go to college? I have two degrees from the University of Memphis. My first was in 73 in BBA in management and went back and got my MS in finance, 82. It was at night. Wonderful experiences. I got a chance to travel overseas and do some graduate papers. Uh, the countries that I was in and visit, I'd go to the embassy. Back in the days when you couldn't get a computer and research, <laughs> everything was on microfiche. So I got to go to the embassies when I was in Singapore, or I was in Malaysia, or I was in somewhere Well, what else. job was that? I was international banking at UP for a couple of years, believe it or not. Very cool. I'm a bit of a restless soul, so I always enjoy a new challenge. And I had been with Union Planners for a while, and I kind of wanted to advance myself. Somewhere along the way, I just said, you know, I think maybe I can be the president of a bank. So I'd like to learn as much as I can. So I started on the line side of the bank, production and commercial lending, things like wholesale-type lending. And then later on, shifted to the staff side of the bank and learned a little bit about that. That would be, obviously, today that's compliance, that's IT, not things I'm so well-versed at, but... Hiring the right people is extremely important. So I did that. And somewhere along the way, I was with a bank that kept getting acquired by bigger banks. And that was Commerce Union Bank, which, you know, became B of A, became Sovereign, CNS Sovereign, all the names I forget now. But I decided, gosh, I'm going to do something different. I was on the board of a company called the Memphis Group. They were aircraft parts. And a really, really strong company. And I joined them for three years as their CFO. But thank God I had a CPA that worked for me and directly reported to me because I was pretty good with the finance side of it. But the actual practice of accountancy was not my forte. So, But we did well. I stayed there three years and I was recruited to come and join a small bank. 
That was maybe $60 million in assets at the time. It was Victory Bank and Trust. And so we grew it pretty well. And I will tell you that if I have a strong talent, it is drawing people to the equation. And I'm one person, and you don't get very far without, in banking anyway, without a very strong group. I depend on them a lot. And now and again, you'll make a mistake on a hire. But you've got to solve that problem, too. That's not the easiest of things to do. But if you're going to get and continue to grow, you just keep saying, well, you know what? I think I'm going to try to improve one more time. Is that kind of what you did because you had one bank and then sold it to Mm -hmm. tell us about that? You just grew them, sold them, then started again? never really planned on any of that. I invested what I had in the banks that I was with. And if I were a shareholder, I think I would be impressed by that. You know, a younger person, uh, I'd saved up money in my IRA, 401k, and things like that over the years. And I remember surprising the people at Victory Bank, and I said, no, I'm just going to push it all out there. You know, I'm going to go go with it. I had no idea that it would be as successful as it was uh, three years later. And, you know, people come calling. Well, the, the talent. It's the talent. They, they see who you are. They say you're a young bank, but they also say, oh my gosh, these people are very talented, very good group. So Victory Bank was the first bank that you ran directly. Is that fair to say? Uh, that would be correct. And I was coming off of being CFO of the Memphis Group, okay. the aircraft parts company. They- and how long did you run that bank? Mm, three or four years, four years. Okay. Four years. And is it part of a larger bank now? Yeah. I've lost track. No. <laughs> it's easy to do. <laughs> yeah. I got a call one day from Deposit Guarantee Bank out of Jackson, Mississippi, and they said they wanted to come talk. So David Leake and I, David's a local attorney, and he was chairman of the holding company, and he was sort of the founder of that bank. It was small when I came in there. Like I say, $60 million. It was very small. But we met with them and worked out the terms of the sale. It takes about six months or so for this to consummate. Somebody else acquired them before they acquired us. So, so the multiplier, I'm a little kid from Colonial Lakers. I'm looking around and saying, okay, wow. So the price kept going up and I was grateful for it, thankful for it. And so we were doing well and I had a year on compete, decided that that was what I wanted to do. And so my wife and I took off for a month, went to Europe and got on the trade and rode around and we had a ball. You know, it's just a lot of fun to be able to do that. And then you said, hey, I think I'm going to start another bank. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stand it. I had a good partner, Jack Johnson, that was on the board of a previous bank that I was with, the previous bank. I'm getting my directors now confused at which time and place. But so Jack was with me at Victory Bank. And, you know, I knew I had a one-year non-compete and I upheld it absolutely but I said, you know, Jack, I'll come see you in 366 days and we'll talk. So gave me a lot of time to kind of sit around and think about things. And it was good to have a bit of a break, but I think a two-month break was all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> Got back from Europe and said, okay, what am I going to do now? <laughs> well, really. And I think, you know, if I don't find something to do, my wife's going to kill me anyway. <laughs> you know? Oh, no, Beverly's so, not. <laughs> she, she might. When that ran its course, we just decided to start a bank that I named. It was Renaissance. So when I tell people I founded Renaissance Bank, they go, oh, my gosh. You go, well, wait, let me tell you. Okay. Renaissance Bank was a name that I came up with. Renaissance Bank was a 
$250 million you know, dollar bank. Not the one that you know today, but we were their earliest acquisition. And surprisingly, I didn't, I would sit around and I'd think about names, names, names. And I thought Victory was a great name. I got to come up with something that people remember. And I had a sheet of paper, some marketing people had thrown some numbers, maybe 200, 150 names out. And the word that caught me was renaissance, the regular term. And I said, oh, that's too flowery. I got to do something. So I just made it up. So I said, well, I'm just going to do something that sounds kind of hard, or a little bit harsher. So renaissance. I look it up in the dictionary. It says of and about and pertaining to the renaissance period, which I thought the beginning of banking in Europe. I said, makes sense. All this makes sense. So that was after starting the bank as community commercial bank, but I changed the name somewhere along the way. Anyway, I've got, I've got to get my, my timing right. right. Exactly. Okay. All right. I can imagine it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, it's been a few years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we did that, and three or four years, somebody comes knocking on the door again, and I I'd built this team, and I said, um, I sat down and talked to him. And I said, well, we're really young. I don't think you really want to talk to us yet. And he said, yeah, yeah, we do. And uh, so I made an offer. It's a very good offer. And so once again, I was uh, I was not leading and running the bank anymore, but I was on the board of the NASDAQ company, Renaissance Bank. Jack Johnson and I both joined that board, and that was a good run for five years. So you stayed on after it sold. You still stayed on as a board member. I did. This in no way is this arrogant at all, but I think it's invigorating to have your own. So after a while, I thought, well, I kind of think I want to be with a smaller bank again. So after five years on the big board, and maybe three or four, before joining the big board, I joined Metropolitan Bank as chairman, and that was for a few years. I was chairman and vice chairman there for a while. That bank sold, and so I said, I'm going to do this one more time, you know. One more time? One more time. <laughs> One more time. I was 65, I guess, maybe something like that at the time. And I said, I got this, you know, I still got to run in me. I enjoy the stimulating to have a challenge like that and fun. So you begin to recruit different people again. Where did you find those people? Just people you've known over the years. It wasn't any particular spot or place. Given your experience, you must have been able to just recognize some of the best people in Memphis with banking experience, right? So let's say I was with Union Planners early on out of college, out of undergraduate school, and I was there roughly 10 years. I had a lot of opportunity, advancement opportunity, both on the line and the staff side of the bank and learned quite a bit there. And that would have been until the mid-80s, I guess, or something. And at that point, you know, I made a change. Mm-hmm. That's when you went to Victory. So that's how I got my, my state to go into Victory Bank. I don't know if I should say this. Now. I had a few hundred thousand dollars. I had maybe $300,000. Back then, that was a lot of money. It was a lot to me. And that's what I put on the table at Victory Bank and recruited some of the talent that I'd known over the years and had the good fortune of having a great group of folks that joined me. And that you know, led to other things. So here we are today, several banks later. How has the hiring experience been? I know that through the pandemic and post-pandemic, it's been a very tough labor market. Have you had any struggles with it? Not really. We have continued to upgrade when we've replaced, and we've been able to hire key talent. But it is an entrepreneurial type of environment. 
if there's such a thing in banking. Yeah, right. You can't take Lots of regulations. Yeah, you can't take extraordinary risk. But what you can do is, is foster that culture and that environment that's conducive to success. And I think that's what people gravitate towards. What would you say the culture at Bank 3 is or at any of the banks? Is that one of the reasons that you think it's been set apart from other banks? I think definitely. I think I can, without calling any names, I can tell you that there are a few men and women who sort of set the tone. And I know that. One person has worked with me at three banks, and it's a culture you have to kind of it's an upbeat spirited sort of we like being underdogs. We enjoy being underdogs. Let's go tackle this challenge and see if we can't do some good with it. And so far so good. Today's another challenge with increasing cost of money. How many employees does Bank Three have across the board? Fifty three FTEs. That's six cities. So we're pretty lean, pretty lean and mean. With the addition of Will Chase, he'll bring a new group with us, I am certain, and we welcome that. So you'll take a step back momentarily in earnings, but you kind of have to plan on next year, not this year. You know, you're playing the long game. Well, one of the things that you were talking about just now when you mentioned Will, and that's kind of a new thing to the bank. So was it you thinking, okay, I need a succession plan. I need to figure out what's going to happen next. So of course, of course. I'm 72. As Charles Barkley says, Father Time's undefeated. (laughs) Uh, I still have fun. I still Mm -hmm. enjoy it. But you know what? Don't kid yourself, you know. And so I'd work with Will twice and really, really excited that stars line up. And he sold his bank a year and a half ago, very successful bank and a successful run of 17 years, maybe I think it was. He was my number two guy at Renaissance. He was with me at Commerce Union Bank going back 40 years. I, I know these people. You don't work with people over that period of time, and you know them extremely well. You know where their heart is. You know that you see the drive and the initiative they have, and you feed off of each other. That's important, too. You absolutely hire to your weakness, and gosh, I've got them. It's like everybody else does. So your emphasis today is the highest and best talent in IT, as well as the production side of the bank, and then the control side, the asset quality, underwriting, and so on and so forth. So each one has to fit, and then they have to fit in in a big organization where they respect each other. Not a lot of bureaucracy. Now, we, we have a lot of rules and regulations that we have to follow, and we highly respect the FDIC and the insurance that we get, or we wouldn't be in business. So, But having said all that, we can create a culture that is unique. I don't know that I have many people that would say, that's not my job. Oh, that's huge. (laughs) They find a hole and fill it. And I try to do that, too. I'm not able to do it all. But if I can't figure it out for myself, I will get, I'll make certain that we do that. So this year, our earnings are going to be half what they were last year. We were on a really good roll in our sixth year. Have no asset quality problems, at least not now. But margin compression is significant. And that's why you see the top 200 banks in the country trading at basically book value. Book value, tangible book value. I mean, it's like, is that real? And I guess it is. Where do you see it going? Well, it all has to do with the Fed's battle against the fiscal. You know, I don't want to get too political in this, but we created this problem. We flooded the economy with $6 trillion in spending to combat a pandemic. That money has to be monetized. So the Treasury debt is 
traditionally bought by the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve sees it as their goal to hold inflation and unemployment at certain levels when you flood that much money into the economy in a short period of time. There's no way that you're going to have the production to cover putting that money to work. So obviously prices are going to go up in the short run and combine that with the pandemic because we had logistic problems. So all of a sudden you have this shortage and what CPI was up 9% last year at this time from the previous years. It's down to maybe four. Okay. That's a lot of progress, but you kind of have to still get behind the numbers. Like I say, I don't want to sound too professorial here, but inflation to a 22-year-old that rents is different than an older person that has no mortgage. Right, for sure. So you try to say, okay, what is the true CPI or what's the true index that you follow to realize when maybe the Fed thinks they've done enough? I don't know the answer to that yet. We're going to see. It was great that yesterday they paused. I want to say that a little less than a year ago, what was Fed funds was at 25 basis points and now it's 525 basis points. So what's happened, the Fed has a program called Reverse Repo, a purchase plan, and it, it's got $2 trillion that it takes off of its balance sheet every night and sells to the major banks, money center banks, basically taking that money out of the money supply. So there's $17 trillion in the, on deposit with banks in the country. Well, you take $2.2 trillion out, that money can't be loaned out. That means there's a scarcity at banks. Their loan-to-deposit ratio goes up precipitously, and everybody's fighting for that same skinny rabbit. They're chasing the same skinny rabbit. So now you've got people paying in five and a quarter range for the money. And you have fixed rate loans that are on your books that are three, four, five year term. You know what it's done to their investment portfolio? Pretty much it's called AOCI, but basically what that means is you mark down your securities to market value today. Well, rates go up, inverse happens to the value of, of your securities portfolio. And so so you have this dilemma, and if the earnings are going to be impacted, then the multiplier of your current earnings is going to be less. So they're going to so bank stocks are going to trade at less of a price. So M and A goes away. Yeah, you're clearly a banking expert, which no. is great. <laughs> I don't know uh, if that's good or not. Yeah. Nowadays. No, yeah. it's 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 great to hear your insights. And so, from my perspective, you know what we've dealt with in the last year is that bond prices have gone down. And if a bank holds those bonds to maturity, everything's fine, right? But if somebody's withdrawing money from a bank in the interim, the bank may have to sell those bonds at a loss and that affects their balance sheet and it, it can take them down at the end of the day. But if most banks don't have significant withdrawals, meaning the consumers don't take all their money out at once, do you think that banks should be doing fine in the long term? Yeah, I think they've got to get their spreads back. Let's say your margins were 3.3 or 3.4 a year ago, and now they're 2.7 or 2.8. That's on four or 500 million in assets now. That's not a small change. So your spread is less, and you've got to keep your overhead tight, and you really can't afford to have any charge-offs. So you're playing this game, but what you're saying is, in the case with Will, Will Chase, okay, I encourage Will, go out and bring some of the best talent that you're aware of and bring it to the talent that we already have, we'll spend the money this year. We're not a publicly held company. Our stock price is not going to be changed by if we make a half a million dollars less this year because we bought superior talent in for the future. And so he's the right guy at the right time. And I, I'm excited to get a chance to work alongside him again and to 
see what we could do together along with Scott House, who was our president. So we got a few guys that have been around the block a few times. So you, you mentioned the spread is tight, and that's an interesting perspective because I think for consumers, they see the spread as kind of the opposite way. They're thinking, why am I making X amount of my savings account at the bank when the Fed rate is at five and a half? But really, the banks are making more like 3% on their mortgages, and you're paying 3% on the savings. And so it is a very tight spread from that perspective. Yeah, is there's that a couple of things going on. Computerization, technology of the world today, core deposits won't be inexpensive in the future. If there's a shrinkage in the deposits in the banking system, you're going to compete for it to keep your position. So no bank, not my bank, not a first run, no one's going to want to let their core deposits go away. So what happens? People start advertising, we'll pay five and a quarter for money market accounts, or we'll pay five and a quarter for a one-year CD. And you're looking at something that just rolled off at one or two percent. You don't let it go. This is real world stuff. You serve your customer. However, you do have some length of portfolio that you have on the books that you've kind of got to get around. And I mean, everybody's kind of in the same boat. A well-run bank just takes it as part of the longer process. We hope we are that. We believe we are that. We're all at a certain age where we can probably remember when in the 1970s, if you did a one-year CD for 12%, you got a toaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got some steak knives once. <laughs> let's hope we don't go there again, right? I, I don't think so. I think, <laughs> I think this is a real awakening. I think it'll go from you know larger banks all the way down, especially when, when you were only earning 25 to 50 basis points on your money a year, year and a half ago. It was not so material. People just said, well, why bother? Because there was nothing else out there with a higher yield. Yeah, and so now, where can I get five? Just about anywhere you go. And if you don't pay that, that's their income. You have to pay what the going market is, yeah. I was just going to say, one of the questions we always ask on the podcast is about what is the biggest challenge you've had in growing your business? Would you say it's today? It's what's happening now? Yeah. For this go-around, yes. I mean, every turn is different, and you learn from it, and you play the hand you're dealt. But for right now, this is unique because I'm not aware of such a rapid rise in such a short period of time. If all of your assets were floating rate assets, which they never are, but if they were, you would just adjust up. You know, prime goes up or SOFR goes up or whatever the LIBOR goes up, you know, you make and you pay accordingly. That's not the case. Your securities portfolio, which by the way, we great shape there. We only have two million. 2.2 million in, in losses if we were to mark to market all of our investment securities, but we do have three, four, and five-year term loans. So that's the reality of, of the situation you're in. So we're in the midst of a capital campaign to raise a little bit more money. Once you have your fixed overhead covered and you've got the locations that you want, five or six cities, your fixed costs are pretty much fixed. You can add a couple of people incrementally that can bring in deposits and loans and things like that. And if you run a clean, safe bank, you know, the trajectory on the earnings is going to be pretty good. But it just takes you a while to do that. If you bring in five or six, seven people at once, okay, yeah. But you just, are you in the game or not? You're going to play the game. This is talent. You don't pass talent up. You don't pass it up. You say, okay, we'll make, make a little less this year, but watch out next year. 
Do you have anybody that has been a mentor to you as you've been building your businesses? Anybody that you really look yeah, to? Yeah, you know, I would say, of course, Jack Johnson. I mentioned him at the previous bank and other mentors in different facets of life. I've had three, four, five of them. And, you know, my mom was when she was around. And I don't know, you just, I think you know who you want to emulate. I think you know who you want to be. Probably working in banks for a long time, you probably also know who you don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, absolutely. And you don't want to let anybody down. And so, to me, the best sign of that is then put your own money in. Don't just ask for a paycheck. So you, you shove an amount that's meaningful to you. Now, what's meaningful to one person is not necessarily meaningful to another. I have people on my board worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and a million-dollar investment is... That's not even a consideration. So outside of banking, if somebody was coming to you and was interested in starting a business, what are you know one, two, or three pieces of advice you'd give to them? I say think long and hard before you do it and study for a while before you do it. You have no idea, especially I think when you raise other people's money, it weighs pretty heavily on you. People that I've known since I was two years old. Okay, and you think about that really, really hard. Gosh, you don't want to let anybody down. You know, we've, we've done good over the years and stayed friendly, but you owe them. You're the steward of their investment funds that retires them. So this is a very important thing. You don't just get a job and occupy a chair and say, hey, that's great. I got this wonderful job and everybody looks up to me and things are just wonderful. I said, no, you don't get to do that. No, you've got to make it work. And that takes, a friend of mine refers to it as a, a business coma. And I think in the first five years, you put a whole lot into it, and you're up a lot of nights in the middle of the night thinking about, well, what about this? Well, what about this? What am I going to do on this? And Not that I'm necessarily smarter than anyone else, but I care a lot, and I have my money there, and it's significant to me. So I would expect that we all receive the same reward at some point in time, but not before. That's an interesting insight because a lot of people – think that the boss, the CEO, the chairman just controls everything. But I think the reality based on what you're saying is you're under least control when you're in charge. <laughs> I have so many bosses. I have well, a list, the FDIC. Okay. I have my employees and my staff. I have my board. I have the boss of all bosses, my shareholders. So by the time you start getting through all that, you say, okay, you're a big shot. You do what you want to do. I can't do anything that I want to do other than try to do the best for everybody that's involved in it, or I won't be able to raise capital in the future. You don't get rewarded for being selfish with what you get out of it. So you start out basically a lower salary, and you kind of grade up over time, and and you're fortunate enough to have a board that awards you with options, but you take it very seriously. Not only for your family, but everybody else. We have 200 shareholders, 200. And I wouldn't want to be walking around in this town if I didn't do right by everybody. That's a great way to frame it. <laughs> that <is. laughs> That's just reality, yeah. Jay. Yeah. How do you continue learning and growing as an entrepreneur, as a business owner? How do you? Great question. I read like crazy. Any recommendations? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I could tell you so many, but I can't get enough. So, for example, last night, you know, I'm looking at the two different indices on inflation and what percentage it represents. So instead of saying, accepting a CPI number and saying, okay, that's good, 
What drives a CPI? Okay, well, it's a third mortgage, a third housing, so much gas and fuel, so much food cost. And so how does the Fed decide when they're going to cut back and say that inflation's been tamed instead of, oh, what's the BCE index? It's just one or two different indexes that they use, but I just like to learn. I want to get beyond just the 10-second blip that you hear on the news that gets you dramatically, okay, whatever, stirred up. No, no, no. I want to know what's really happening behind there. So I read a lot. Wall Street Journal, Economist Magazine, obviously, but I'll get online and maybe the Federal Reserve reports and things like that. And just I'm a little ADD, except when I get into the reading, I, I focus in pretty good. But I'll go out and I'll grab some things and I think, you know what? You can be better than you were yesterday. You'll be just a shade smarter. Yep, that's for sure. Well, this is obviously your passion, but what do you do for fun? Okay, we have two dogs. My wife and I play a little pickleball. She plays more than I do. And she says, get out there and play some more, Frank. And I said, well, I'm going to. I'm fixing to. You know, <laughs> I'm going to. And I do want to. And I think Will is an answer. I mean, you, it's hard, you know, with just two of us, Scott and I, running it and me getting up a little bit. And so, you know, you do look forward to having more time to travel and do stuff like that. You know, we have a condo in Chattanooga. We go over there, son. I have a little boy that lives over there that he's coming on his 21st birthday. So, you know, we get over there, son. All of her family's over there. Over the years, they were just one, one at a time, kind of got over that direction. But I would like to have a little more free time. That would be good. So where do you think you'll be in five years? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> okay. No. On a pickleball court, right? Memorial Gardens? I mean, what? what? No. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I'd like to think that, you know, I exercise a little. I jog a little a couple times a week. Not anything crazy, but I'd like to hope that my health holds up and that we're traveling more and doing some fun stuff. I have a question that is kind of off this topic completely, but it's one that we ask in every podcast. And that's that, do you think that entrepreneurs are born or taught? Uh, let's see. I think in my case, life kind of hands you certain things. I think they're born, but I think you've also got to reach out. You, you can't, no such thing as a successful, lazy entrepreneur. I mean, you just don't get that. So are you willing to work hard enough to succeed? It sounds glamorous when you get into it. And as I've done this a few times, you know, you know that it's it's going to take a bit out of you. But so I think it's somewhere along the way that maybe in the late 80s or something like that, I decided I said, I think I can be the president of a bank. I think I've seen enough of it now to where maybe maybe I can do this. I'm pretty good at it, but I think I relied most importantly on my ability to draw talent. And I, I hope that I haven't disappointed those that have joined with me over the years. I've had a lot of presidents, and people that have gone, like Will, went on to do his own bank, start to finish, and it makes you feel good. It's not just the money, but you say, hey, you know what? We did pretty good. Let's do this one more time. So I have to answer both, and that's not just a canned answer. I think you can't foolishly jump in right out of college and say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I mean, <laughs> take a few jobs, see if you like it, see if you're any good at it, figure it out. And you also can't foolishly say, I'm just going to hire the best people. So <laughs> so what do you do to get them on board, to make it a successful career for them so they don't leave? Like, what's your take okay, on that? Let's see. Well, when you start a bank, you share the options on the front end. You give them some Compensation. 
And you try to create this culture that's fun. People like to get them to come to work, and you get people that want to work with each other. They're outgoing, by and large. A lot of people are production-oriented people when you start, but then it's ever so important to get the backroom staff, the, the governance people, the, the accounting people, the IT people, and everybody else. And then those groups got to work together. So it's a balancing act. I think I'm a reasonable judge of sincerity in the interview process. And, you know, I can sit, and within a reasonable amount of time, I can say, this person's got it. Yeah, they're, they're going to, what they don't know already, they'll be willing to work hard to learn how to do, and I think they'll want to fit into our culture. And so you you do that gradually. And one of the things that I think we're successful at is we'll bring in a couple of interns every year and say, here's a shot. Come work with us. You'd be amazed at how older guys like me and some of the guys around, we love hanging out with the 20-year-olds. You know, it's kind of like... Mm-hmm. Hey, challenge me. See if you can throw me a curve. Ask me a question or something. Make it hard on me. Do you like being here? What do you like about it? You know, that kind of stuff. It's a huge span in age, but kind of keeps you sharp. I've enjoyed every age group has a contribution to make. You know, you get pretty darn conservative at my age, you know, but gosh, you're not going to trade off youthful exuberance for this conservative's stoic. I mean, it's all along the way that you're doing this. People at different stages in life. And you need both. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to find it. Need them them all. And you know what? Male and female. What's the greatest gift to banking? I don't know. But nowadays, it's that we finally let the women come into play. I mean, I've got four EVPs that are female. I'm very proud of all of them. And they all work their way up. I'm not just trying to single them out. I just, I just want to say that 30 or 40 years ago, you it's know true. what? It was you not. <laughs> you didn't get a shot. They'd be behind the counter. They'd mm-hmm. be, be behind the counter, keeping their mouths, being very quiet. And I'm thinking, don't you dare. <laughs> no, these, these people are highly smart. We'll keep you on your toes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be the smartest guy in the room, but I sure want to hire the smartest people in the rooms. That's that right. Yeah. So Memphis has a really strong history of banking. Do you feel like what you've been able to achieve has been helpful from Memphis and as a region? Yeah, I don't know other cities. You know, I didn't grow up in any other city, so I just know Memphis, and I know that it's opened the doors for me. Right now is a very tough time for a lot of reasons, because if you're going to start one of these, you've got to raise $40 million. I mean, you've got to have a lot of people that buy into and believe. So not sure what the future is, but we are transitioning with various age group people in certain spots, and we have people that are coming behind me and all the other individuals that are that are there in the bank for the continuity. So I just say just watch and learn, see what happens. Politics change, situations change, and it's never as good as you think it is or as bad as you think it is. Just play the game, give it all you got, and you're probably going to come out in pretty good shape. That's good. One of the requirements to be a member of the Society of Entrepreneurs is that you have to give back to the community, and I know that's something that you think is very important. What about the bank? Do you do things with the bank? We do. This year, we've set each individual in the bank has a single goal to do something that's CRA-related. You have to do your own. No, not just so that's 53, I guess, that will do something. I know that Will's a big proponent of that, too. And we're at a better stage now. When you start out, it's survival. You said CR-related. Can you elaborate? CRA. CRA. Uh, CRA, Community Reinvestment. So you try to get back to a certain areas that are challenged. And it takes on 
any shape or form. But yeah, that's that's part of the mission. It's the regulatory part of the mission of your mission as well. But I think that we are at the stage now where we continue to improve in that regard. We've gotten past the survivability stage, I guess. So can you give an example of something the bank does in that CRA? Yeah, role? I can just say schools like Binghampton and things like that that will go and we have a mortgage program where we're doing residential mortgages and we're portfolio on those mortgages to people that might not otherwise be able to get approved. We have individuals that are responsible for doing those types of things. And it's a good part of business that you're entitled to have a franchise and you need to do something with that franchise that also helps the city of Memphis, which helps the poorest. My heart's certainly there. Well, speaking of Memphis, what excites you the most about Memphis right now? The challenges, I think. I'm not going to go entirely negative here, but I think that we've got some challenges that have to be faced, and that's crime, that's safety. There's no way around that that challenge as to who and how that gets accomplished. I'm not sure yet. What are three things that you could not live without? Okay, something to do that was challenging, of course. I'm going to tell you about my wife, my dogs. I'm going to tell you about that in this stage in life. Kids, grandkids, uh, nine grandkids. Very proud. My oldest granddaughter just got accepted to St. Andrews University in Scotland for postgraduate. For She graduated summa cum laude in Alabama. Such a sweetheart, you know, but I'm proud of them. I live my life for the ones that come behind me. Awesome. And lots of pickleball, which I have to say. Oh, my wife's going to say, you don't play enough to say that, Frank. Don't say that yet. I'm looking forward to meeting Beverly on the court soon. So. She has 24 women in her group, and they play three, four times a week. That is a passion. Yeah. It is. It's a lot of fun. That mm-hmm. is a passion. It is, it, is. it is a good sport. It is a yeah, lot of fun. It's fun. Well, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate it, Frank. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Frank Cianciola. If you'd like to hear more about Frank's history or Bank 3, please check our show notes.